0: You can talk about film with a philosopher's zeal Or measure them all by box office appeal But for once in your life Be real! Welcome one and all to your movie reviewing and reappraising podcast Be Real on the Playlist Podcast Network Brought to you by California college of the Arts is writing m f a program today we come to you in the form of a single movie pod. We are talking about the last black man in San Francisco with an interview with star and uh story originator Jimmy fails later in the show. but first us, I'm chance Solom Pfeiffer and I'm Noah Ballard. The last black man in San Francisco new movie out this month from a twenty four it uh had was in its most theaters just this past weekend, and I think we'll continue to get a little wider over the next couple weeks. It is sort of docu-realistic, sort of fantastic, in meshing of those styles. A drama set in the titular San Francisco, um, directed by first-time director Joe Talbot, uh, starring first-time feature film actor and writer Jimmy Fails, and Jimmy plays a version of himself in this movie which is an extrapolation of something that happened to him in his youth where he was his family was evicted from their home in the Fillmore district of San Francisco but in this movie uh Jimmy lives with his best friend Mont played by Jonathan Majors and Mont's grandpa Danny Glover and it seems like the guiding principle in Jimmy's life is that he is continually drawn back to this house that his family lived in, in the Fillmore district, uh, but has not for years, that was built by his grandfather. And he like tends to the siding. He paints the window sills, and the the white people that live there now, and we should say, maybe you could tell from the title that Jimmy and Mont are black. I um, are just like, Jimmy, what are you doing? You have to stop coming to our house. You have to stop doing this. And the circumstances unfold in the film where... Uh, Jimmy sees like an opportunity to Buy slash maybe just Squat in this beautiful Fillmore home with
1: this incredible Witch hat didn't you find the home pretty Beautiful The setting itself uh, is Incredible right Uh, The house is a character in and of itself We
2: built these ships Dreads these Canals In the San Francisco they never knew existed.
0: This is our home.
2: You two stick together. I always come back to the old house. What if it's empty? What if we just peeked inside? Our parties, you can put on one of your plays. We you can yell.
1: It <laughs> is his house, our house. That's not your old house, and that's not your neighborhood. Hey, if you're going to
0: and yeah, so it becomes like sort of like a partnership scheme movie that like drives through the second act. Uh, It's definitely kind of just like meditative on Bay Area and urban gentrification, Um, but that particular sort of exaggerated, uh, cruel San Francisco brand of it. Um, Where do you want to start, buddy, before we talk to Jimmy later in the show?
1: What is your relationship like with the city of San Francisco? Traveled there once when I was a kid. What about you? You were there recently. See, this is, I was, this is one of my favorite genres of movies, uh, Which is why San Francisco is bad. (laughs) Because I happen to hold that belief, too. What else falls in that category? Well, I mean, it may just be Zodiac, Bullet. (laughs) Uh, That's the takeaway from those films. But go ahead. There may be more. But yeah, but I mean, I have no affinity for uh, San Francisco. And this movie, I mean, one of the lines in the movie, and I don't think this is too much of a spoiler, is to hate San Francisco, you you must first love San Francisco.
0: Right. This Um, movie would put forth that you're not allowed to hate it.
1: Maybe I secretly do love it, mm. and that's the reason I hate it so much. Never heard you say but that. Actually, <laughs> I just feel very ill at ease. Uh-huh. I described it once to you as having my internal gyroscope unable to flip over, as if I am an iPhone. Sure, that has nothing. It was a great metaphor, but nothing to do with gentrification. So the first ten minutes of the movie are sort of an art film that places us in San Francisco. Jimmy and Mont are just, like, skateboarding around, like, sort of on the perimeter of the mission, uh, taking you through, like, what was once cool San Francisco and what was, frankly, black San Francisco. Right, And we go to these sort of odd shots of, like, these sort of oblivious-looking, rich but poor dressed white people who were like drinking their iced coffees and like walking their dogs around. And it's just the sort of worst of the worst. And you just hate these people. You hate the conversations they're having. You just like hate their whole attitude. Uh, Or at least that was my takeaway in the first 10 minutes. Uh, and then, of course, Chance, you mentioned it, too. Once you get past that, and I was sort of happy the movie did get past that fairly quickly and getting into the quote-unquote plot of this movie, which is how, you know, Jimmy's going to take back the house uh, of his childhood slash his family legacy. Right. Which is, I think, a really compelling like way to situate a movie because I don't think the other plot in this which is mont writing his play like really has the gravitas of like the physical location being like pushed and pulled between several different forces.
0: Yeah, let me pick up on something you said there. I think one of the best things about this movie is that it's clearly about like gentrification and the faces thereof, but not in like a discursive sense. Did you see that movie Blind Spotting that came out last year? No. I kind of liked certain things about it. It's another, it was an Oakland based movie that deals with like a lot of these same problems, but it's very much in kind of that like Twitter discourse over like gentrification is just a big fat iced coffee. And one of the best things about this movie is I think it investigates the, the changing facades of cities on a much deeper level than that. Right? Because like gentrification is not, cannot be conquered individually but when you when you explore it like deeply on an individual level in terms of like both the soul of what's being lost the history that's being lost the bizarre irony of the people who know a place best kind of craning their necks to get a look at something they know like the back of their hand i think you start to understand like the emotional truths in what is otherwise kind of just like a you know, a big systemic lie that nobody can quite get their head around.
1: Yeah. And this movie's also in conversation too, with, I would say, sorry to bother you mm-hmm. in the idea of how I would say people of color are expected to interact with the quote unquote system. Yeah. So in this way, it's represented by like this, this uh, sort of slimy realtor uh, played by one of my favorite bad guys, uh, Finn Wittrock. Yeah. He's just like always showing up as like the douchey older brother or like the best friend who's like really playing the main character or whatever. He
0: also I have he played a token white desk jockey and if Beale Street could talk last year. So this felt like just a different shade of that same office.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. And so I think and also in that bank scene, too. There's sort of an interesting, you know, uh, not quite the level of Army Hammer level satire but sort of like the going through the motions of it.
0: Right. I talked to Jimmy about that scene a little bit because his performance in this movie is so, um, you know, very interior for the most part. It's a lot of eye acting. You're just looking at oh. his eye. You're just doing that hope check. Like, does Jimmy have hope in his eyes still? Because <laughs> this, like, this could be sliding downhill. So when he kind of lets loose that salvo of like, this is what I've got to do to the potentially suspicious white neighbor walking his dog in order for my plan to work. It's really fascinating. When he goes into the bank and he's like, give me as predatory of a loan as possible, I don't care. And the guy's so taken aback. It's a very fascinating second shade to that performance.
1: Absolutely. And this movie interrogates, I think, in the viewer, that idea of, I mean, especially me, like a cisgendered heterosexual white man, uh, that. If I were to, like, interface with the system, quote-unquote, I would have such a different experience than this guy who's just trying to convey his, quote-unquote, sob story about, like, why he is entitled to this place. Mm -hmm. And for most of the movie, you believe him. But then I think this movie sort of shifts into like really good movie thing where it's not about, it's not even about gentrification at all. It is about the lies we tell ourselves. Sure.
0: Yeah. Um, We're going to do like a spoiler section after the interview with Jimmy. Uh, Can we talk about a couple more things before we get back to that? Oh, please. It's one of the best (laughs) this is sort of goes against kind of like the binary of our rating system risk system but this is one of the best times you can have in terms of cinematography like in a theater this year it is so stunningly gorgeous to look at and i mean i haven't seen it i think it's probably been three or four weeks since i saw it it's fresher for you you saw it today um but there's a lot of shots of people's faces that are like really impressed upon my brain um i know that joe and jimmy are big fans of barry jenkins uh and i think he like even maybe advised them on the project or a short film or something um but this picks up on a lot of the themes they're in medicine for melancholy jenkins's first film but it has that it has that eye to it in terms of joe talbot's directing um
1: it's one of the few times in recent memory too where i can remember appreciating someone doing slow or fast motion Mm. Like, there's a lot of interesting work done with space, like, whether or not they're they're in transit or they're traveling or they're just sort of, like, in this weird daze wandering around this big house. Like, there are these sort of slow tracking shots. So there's brilliant ones when he's on the skateboard, too, to sort of show, you know, whether luck is, like, on his side. Like, if he lands that trick, like... It's going to be a good day. That's but if he wipes out, he sort of wipes out then into the next scene, which is sort of a an interesting way to set the pace for a movie and one that really like it sucks you into it.
0: Yeah, I would agree. Uh the score is great. Um it's tough not to love Jonathan Majors' face. I was so fascinated with his performance as Mont. And we'll talk like you said, it's it's debatable whether like his character arc works. But the way he kind of, like, is such a physical, like, friend in terms of proximity to Jimmy and the way they move together. Um, You know, it has, and I mean this as a compliment, like, part of me was like, is that guy even there? It's like the twist of this movie that, like, he's an imaginary friend because he is so, like, locked in to Jimmy's passions. I mean, he's an artist. He's trying to document them for his play. But, yeah, that performance from... Majors is
1: really good yeah, there's something a little of mice and men about them, isn't there indeed where you where you have um you know in Jonathan Major's Mont, a sort of lenny i mean he's never dangerous or anything, and you never think I was afraid this movie was going to shift into that cliche where it's like, oh my God, like he's going to cause a violent racial incident because of his like goofy personality, which thankfully like doesn't even come close to happening yes. But there is still something at play that allows him to observe this world in a way that no one else can. And that when someone needs to be told like a harsh truth, he is the one who becomes the vessel for that truth. Mm
0: -hmm, mm -hmm. Can we talk a little bit about uh, if I mention the names Danny Glover, Tashina Arnold, and Rob Morgan? uh, Any of those
1: strike your fancy conversationally? Supporting
0: performances? Danny
1: Glover was great. Yeah. Such a... Such a warm grandfather, and kind of like a set. That, I think the scene that got me the most, and this doesn't spoil anything, I don't think, but as uh, Mont is like moving some of his things into the big house, uh, Danny Glover kind of corners him and is like, When are we going to brainstorm for your next play? Right. And Mont's like, I, I got to do this one on my own. And Danny Glover's uh, grandpa's devastated. Oh, my
0: God. It's tough. He
1: was, like, looking so forward to, like, connecting with another person in this way. And he's heartbroken. And that really, he's just, like, this old blind guy. It's like, Jesus. You know, in the scene before, uh, Mont was, like, doing the uh, sort of descriptive voice captioning for this old movie they were watching Mm -hmm. together. And now he's sort of moving on out. I want to talk about Rob Morgan really quick, who plays
0: Please. Jimmy's dad, and who I first saw in um in Mudbound. Was,
1: Yes. He's got such a voice. such a good He's got a great voice, and they give him the script gives him such interesting physical things to do. He when you we first meet him, he is stuffing counterfeit DVDs into their cases that he's making by cutting, you know, close to the edge. He even comments like get it to full bleed, like don't have any white on the edges. That's great. Like terminological writing too. I know it's, I mean, that that's literally what it's called, but that he thinks about that is, is a guy who's so focused on detail, but like at the end of the day, he's selling bootleg DVDs. So well, like...
0: it fits in perfectly too, to this idea of uh, tragic generational corrosion, right? If Jimmy's grandpa right. built that house by hand doing A like a freehand impression of houses built a hundred years earlier and his son is applying his craftsmanship to bootleg DVDs
1: like that's tragic right but of course his son's son is like seemingly a pretty decent handyman yes like he has marketable skills right whereas Mont is just like poking heads of fishes at the fish market
0: right We've said a lot of nice things. The thing with, like, their jobs, to me, especially Jimmy's job at the old folks' home, that felt a little bit like somebody... I mean, I don't think A24 gave notes, but they kind of, like, self-noted the script, maybe? Like, we need some more color in this movie in terms of, like, what they do and what they do in their lives, but, like, it feels kind of like first film details that slipped through the cracks and, like, didn't amount to very much. Because, like, that job is in the wind immediately right and it seemed like an important part of his character
1: it just didn't make sense to me ultimately why this movie wasn't as we joked before we started recording you and i chance it didn't just have more of a plot of the intruder (laughs) uh which came out earlier this year with dennis quaid in that like why wasn't he like being paid to just like be a handyman like fixing up this house and then it makes sense that like why he knows this house is becoming available and then moves in Right, Like it seems to solve some of the bigger questions of the movie. If you just have maybe like a little bit more of a symbiotic relationship between the rich white people and this young man of color.
0: Potentially. Yeah. I mean, that could be, that's an interesting, interesting choice. I think when you complimented it for not falling into racial cliches and then said it should be more like the intruder, (laughs) we might have some dissonance there, but I take your point, baby. Um, (laughs) Let's see. Very good. Let's talk about uh if I if I'm going to remember one part of this movie going forward in terms of visual storytelling and writing come together, uh it's the scene where Jimmy's at the bus stop
1: with the naked guy. But the best part about that scene is that they they raise the stakes. All of these like when this this movie works is that they take something familiar and then raise the stakes. So it's not merely a naked bus passenger, it is what's more the, the joke is what's more horrible right. than being on a bus with a naked person
0: and what's more horrible is is a the party gentrification bus. of san yeah. francisco is the jefferson airplane edm and everybody yelling this guy fucks this guy fuck which i don't know if that was like a specific silicon valley joke but it like wasn't it's gotta it wasn't be right that's what me. i was thinking yeah
1: well do you want to i i think i would love to hear from jimmy himself So can we go to that interview and then we'll come back and we'll talk about some of our spoilery issues perhaps, and then ultimately rate this bad boy?
0: Absolutely. Let's hear a word from our sponsor and then we'll get into my quick chat with Jimmy Fails.
1: This podcast is brought to you by California College of the Arts MFA in Writing Program. Getting an MFA at their art school setting in San Francisco means that you can write and paint, write and design, and write and make a film. You can also write and write. Look for their MFA faculty member Tom Barbash's novel, The Dakota Winters, out from Echo, and their alum, Adam Nemet, and podcast favorites, We Can Save Us All, out now from unnamed press. For more information, open an internet browser and type in www.cca.edu slash writing MFA. such a strange vibration people motion there's a whole generation with a new explanation people
0: in motion i'm sure you've heard it but congrats on the film i i really liked it a lot it's a really impressive piece of work um
2: well i appreciate it i could hear that eight thousand times so that's
0: fine i yeah, sure. sure I'm, I'm sure that probably doesn't get old uh, so Jimmy let me start here Because I've I've read you talk a lot About this point About kind of How this story came about And and the writing side of things I want to ask you A little bit about Um Acting in it Playing a A version Of yourself Where there's elements Of a true story At least Um I'm just curious What What was your like Internal monologue What questions did you Find yourself Returning to When you were acting In this movie
2: Um That's a great question. I think it wasn't even about the questions I was internally asking myself. It was just sort of what I could do. I'm a storyteller, first and foremost. So, through whatever medium that is, whether it's writing, whether it's acting, whether it's music, I I tell stories. So, it was all about conveying the message as best I could. So, all I had to do was get myself into the right. State to be able to do so Mm -hmm. and be open, and I just had to approach it with vulnerability. Once you, once you let that go and and you're in your body and you're in your mind, then everything else becomes easier when you're acting. But a lot of it didn't feel like acting because it's everything is emotionally true, even as it's fictionalized.
0: So you were, it was okay to be like, in a sense, this is me, as long as what I'm feeling is real. Exactly. Interesting. That's how it should be.
2: Period. For Every project that I do should feel true, even if it's a character that is not based on myself or a fictionalized version.
0: Sure. A lot of the performance, Jimmy, is definitely, I think, defined by you kind of staying in motion and staying busy and, you know, having this this project of the house and of, of reclaiming this character's life. Um, yeah, keeping him in motion. And you've just got, you have a hopeful look on your face for a lot of movie or like the edge of hope. But there's a couple scenes where you really have to deliver a lot of dialogue. I'm thinking about the bank loan scene, which which really surprised me as a viewer because you you haven't seen the character kind of unload that level of desperation for people who haven't seen, seen the movie. You essentially, you know, tell this mortgage loan officer, like, just give me any predatory rate you have. You're like really trying to stay in front of this conversation. Tell me about those scenes where you really kind of had to had to go for it with the dialogue. How were those for you?
2: Uh, I mean, they were. You know, specifically the balcony scene was probably the toughest scene that I was working on.
0: Oh, with the Segway tour. With the Segway tour, yeah. Right. So that was that was a tough one. The the bank scene was just like a. You know, everyone felt a
2: desperation, so that was easier to get by. Yeah. But not everyone just. You know, yells out a story to a tour. Or <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that was was probably the the toughest one with dialogue. But again, um, I'm a writer as well, so it's all about the interpretation and how you can take that writing, that storytelling, and then just implement it. So, you know, it just takes work.
0: Are you as sort of tactile of a person as the Jimmy Fails in this movie? I mean, so much of that that guy who we saw on screen is, is defined by interacting with with tools and uh, trinkets and instruments and skateboards, is that is that true to you, Jimmy? I
2: mean, I, yeah, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm a man of many talents. I like to, <laughs>
0: That's good. Good for you.
2: I like to try it, you know. I mean, just I mean, you know, if you send me some stuff, I'll try to build it, take it apart, rebuild it. I just try to do what I can because I'm not going to go to a trade school, you know. So I try to kind of teach myself so I can do things myself.
0: Right. Right. Um. I want to ask about the character of, of Mott. Cause I, I, I wonder, I sort of had a suspicion and just totally correct me if wrong, but I wondered if, is there some part of that character, Jimmy, that's like also a piece of you and maybe also a piece of Joe to have this character in the movie. Who's also like documenting the events of the movie for his own piece of art.
2: Um, I don't, Oh, that's a good question. People have asked that a lot more recently. I think the relationship me and mine have is has nothing to do with this, with, with Joe. It wasn't like we were trying to make Joe. But I think that me and Joe's basis for our friendship and being vulnerable and open and gentle with each other is what sort of that's where it starts. So it does influence that relationship. But me and Jonathan are also boys, you know. So we we take it. We took it from there. After already kind of having a, a center from which we could, you know, spring from.
0: In the in the script writing process, where where did the character of Mont come from? That idea of like we're going to have a writer in this movie writing about the events of, uh, of the movie well, it
2: came from actually. It, the, the character of Mont for a long time was going to be Prentice. It was based off of a, one of our friends called Prentice, who's a very eccentric sort of guy. Okay. Uh, and then you know Mont obviously being you know, an incredible talent just took it to the next level, sort of thing, and created his own, you know, unique character that he did. So,
0: how did the physical chemistry with Jonathan Majors, who played Mont, kind of come about in 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 this movie, Jimmy? Because it's so, I mean, from the jump, it's kind of like you guys when you're whether you're sharing a skateboard or walking down a like a staircase. It's it's almost like you are kind of two halves of the same body. There's a real like symbiosis there and i wonder as performers where that how'd that physical chemistry come together
2: again i just had breakfast with them this morning that's just how we are <laughs> okay <laughs> you know and we also had a lot of time to build that bond before not a not a lot of time i mean you would think we had more time but you know probably about two weeks but you know we also had to learn how to ride the skateboard together we were you know we were Just, you know, together all the time. You know, we would leave set and go to dinner together. I would sleep in his hotel room sometimes, you know, so, you know.
0: To work on sharing that proximity. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, I'm not a skateboarder. What's the learning curve like on sharing a skateboard with someone?
2: Uh, Well, Jonathan wasn't a skateboarder either, but he's also very athletic, so it worked out that he's very coordinated and he's and he's very balanced. Um, but it was sort of tough. Like, I took, you know, the brunt of most of the falls. Oh, man. But yeah, but that's all right. All that's
0: right. <laughs> you got a movie out of it.
2: <laughs> yeah, exactly.
0: Um, I wonder, one of the things that I responded to, Jimmy, and I think a lot of people will respond to, is just the the look of this movie, the direction, the cinematography. And I'm curious, what sense do you have when you're acting in it of oh this is going to look incredible or is it more just like i am got to do my thing we'll see later I've
2: got, I've got a job to do yeah and all you can do is just hope for the best I also know adam newport bear who's a cinematographer is one of my favorite photographers so i have no worry about that at all sure i have no worry so, and i don't watch daily so i was just like whatever you got the shot all right moving on let's go cool yeah
0: so then what was it like seeing it back for the first time for you?
2: Um, it was, you know, I don't like to watch myself very much, but again, Adam's my favorite photographer. Uh-huh. <laughs> so,
0: you
2: know, I don't like pictures of myself, but when he takes them, I do. So okay. I like to watch myself, but when Adam the Bear is shooting it, then I do. So sure. it, it, was, it was cool to watch it. I was like actually able to sit through and look at myself for two hours.
0: Stepping back for a second, Jimmy, I was curious So, the story, your story of the house I I'm, I'm I was thinking about the evolution of it You know, it goes from being something that happens to you in your childhood To a story that you carry around through adolescence and share with with friends like Joe To movie idea, to a script, to a movie you're actually making And now to something that you are talking to veritable strangers about, um, like me And does... Does working on a movie like this and talking about it, does it bring you closer, you think, to the personal experience you actually had? Or is there maybe like a a distancing, preserving process? How, how are you sort of feeling about all this in relation to your own story?
2: Um, well, you know, I, the way I feel about it, if I'm going to be all the way honest, is... Please. You know, I'm, I'm always down to... to you know, to answer questions and stuff. But it's also just such a personal story that I've already put out there that I just, I kind of want to just move on. You know, I don't like to dwell in the past. Right. And I've had to do that for five years in the making to make this movie. So I want to move on and be working on other projects and telling other stories. But I understand what what this movie's doing right now. Sure. So I'm always going to be here and be present for that.
0: But yeah, in all honesty. You're ready I for think. the next step. Yeah. You already mentioned that the storytelling medium of your work going forward—that you, you're willing to, to work across, acting across, writing across, music—do uh, you have an inkling yet of like what you, what you might most like to do? Are there directions you're being pulled in creatively right now as you think about what's next? That's the thing.
2: The way I work is, I you know, I, I work on songwriting here. I work on writing a story here, and then I work on acting here. So it's always I get waves of inspiration for each thing so i think i'll be doing all of those things i'm probably gonna focus a little bit more on acting now but i just you know i've been right i wrote music on the plane on the way here it's like there's a lot of you know i was reading some of my old stuff that i never got to do and then i'm getting ideas for that so i'm just i'm just inspired to move forward so i'm just going to be coming full force with everything that i want to do
0: yeah so. tell me about your songwriting do you, do, you, do you write mostly on an instrument or is it lyrics first no it's
2: lyrics okay yeah.
0: something you can do on an airplane. <laughs> exactly nice. <laughs> how is riding on an airplane i can imagine that going really well or really poorly
2: i hate flying in general but it's not it hasn't been that bad
0: you got to right take on. your mind off it then
2: yeah exactly
0: right on right and on. I
2: something i can do to not think about the fact that i'm in some vehicle in the air thousands of feet in the air you know sure it's all good <laughs>
0: there you go there you go uh well jimmy i think that's about what i've got man but uh congrats again on on Thank the I hope that uh, I hope the next step is exciting. You don't have to dwell on the past for too much longer. Uh, and yeah, thanks for your time, man. Thank you, man. Take I appreciate
2: care. It. Have a good one. All right. Maybe he's right. What if we shouldn't be here? we should be here more? It's a millionaire.
0: All right, that was uh, Jimmy Fails, scribe and star of the Last Black Man in San Francisco. I think now Noah and I are going to talk about. Some spoilers for this movie, and then we're going to rate it. So maybe zone out if you plan to go catch it in the theater. But uh, Noah, what do you make of the end of this movie and the fact that the revelation, quote unquote, that Jimmy's grandfather did not build the house becomes central to Mont's play?
1: It turns the movie inward. I think it's a good choice. Otherwise, it would be such a political film as to, like, not appeal to anyone, maybe. But at the same time, it definitely pulls a punch at the end by making it about this one man's inability to grow up and find purpose.
0: Yeah, like, I think the part that works is that it kind of plays into this, like, constant... Allure of an American dream right Of this myth of the self-made man who's so Skilled he cannot be denied That's the imagined legacy of Jimmy's grandpa that's the legacy That Jimmy whether he knows it or not is seeking To live up to and when that turns out To be false there is This very true feeling like yeah there are no Exceptions to the rule This has always been Like a myth about opportunity In America and maybe opportunity in San Francisco I but I Think that like as you were kind of saying, I can't remember if it was before we started recording, but like, I think the fact that that is not true, or at least could not be true, is so is such a clear possibility throughout that then to be like this is the thing, is this movie kind of like really like pinning the tail on something that's really just should be a more elusive message to the movie, and Mott staging a play around it to tell his friend, almost feel makes it feel like a choice that is on the one hand, both like a little contrived and melodramatic, but it's like, what is your relationship with this guy that you thought the way to tell him this was to yell at him in front of
1: everyone he knows? Like, aren't you right. guys tied at the hip? It's, it's You are tied at the hip. And it's also like, I don't know if it's supposed to put it in that vernacular or something of guys talking shit. And the only way that Mott knows how to do it is through a performance of this level where he embodies other people. It's not really a play. He's just sort of doing the impressions of three people. He knows
0: you're right. It's like a, it's a one man show.
1: So maybe throughout the whole film and we see these sort of cut scenes of it, but he's trying to speak like them. Yes. And maybe it is to finally convey to Jimmy, like what he needs to hear And thus is the argument of the movie of, you know, what these guys get out of these seemingly horribly toxic relationships they have with each other is some honesty. Jimmy's final memory of Kofi is Kofi saying, like, quote, some of the meanest shit anyone's ever said to him. Right. You know, but he wasn't wrong. And he's ultimately like the thing that maybe pushes this over the top. I mean, he's the one shouting at him like, what are you guys doing in that big house? Mm. Like, why are you running away from, like, your lives? Yeah, Why don't you just come back here or never come back at all, but you can't put one foot in and one foot out? Interesting. And that's Kofi's ultimate message, which then Mont puts in a very sort of digestible theatrical production, which the first half is pretty interesting. The second half is sort of bizarre and maudlin.
0: Right. Yeah. I just felt like the the theme was self-evident and to... Right.
1: But I don't think you needed... I think you're right. I don't think you needed to uh, have it be that him finding out that this thing that he later admits he knew the whole time... Yep. (laughs) uh, ...is untrue. I think you could have had more scenes like the ones with the people on the little scooter things. Yes. And... Which is a great scene. You know, maybe have uh, Wanda the aunt or whatever say something like oh you know your grandpa was full of shit or something sure sure yeah but then ultimately i think if you don't have that craziness then how do you land this movie like is he just working at an ace hardware or something like what is his growth here that he just can't be in san francisco
0: it's a big mythic turn, you know. He ro- he rose out into the bay like he's in well, a that's Winslow just, but, but Homer that's painting. But that's just
1: what Mont's envisioning, because the two scenes, like it, it's him on the pier and he oh, thinks about right. it, and it cuts to yeah. him and it cuts back to him earlier that you know when it was. So I think that's just a vision of it. I think if anything, maybe he went to the other side of the bay or something.
0: So much of what's good and bad about this movie is symptomatic of it being a first movie. All the cinematography tricks, all the music cues, all the feeling that there are stories to be stories and images and sequences to be unleashed that have been gestating with these guys for a decade and a half may, or maybe a decade. Um, and the way it comes out with such urgency, you know, on the one hand, this I trite thing to say, but it's like the highest ideal of like American independent film to take this concept and the erosion of this city and like how it affects people that too many of the people in the audience don't think about, like it's doing like what we want American like independent film to do. And then, but then on the other hand, like it's a first movie. So they want to make sure that you get it. And we got to make sure that the drama is like, you know, cut in such a way that this movie feels like sellable. And so you got to take the good
1: with the bad. Listen, man, San Francisco was never a city of easy, convenient, sort of wholesome living. It was always a gold rush place. Right. So to think of it as anything other than that, to me, seems a bit naive. That family that is disputing the house, like, they've got their own troubles, too. I mean, I thought that was such a good scene when that woman was just sort of the white woman who's ostensibly living in the house. is just after they've moved out, sitting on the stoop, just... You know, waiting to let go. she's had her dream home, yeah, this house it's it's almost like a haunted house story, and there's these like these ghosts and things, right, and this one is from told from the perspective of the ghost.
0: That's interesting. I mean, that's fascinating.
1: How are we going to rate this movie? I think it's a good, bad, okay. I think it's a, like a tiny bit long. And I think it takes a minute to figure out what it's trying to do. But when it gets there, it's a good movie and a really interesting, albeit dark, character study. But I don't know that it has the kind of hang. Like, as you admitted, Chance, like all the performances are kind of inward. So it doesn't really have that hang that I think other movies of this genre uh, that are more watchable have.
0: Yeah, So that's fair. I think it's good, good. Um, I think it's far from perfect um but i think that the cinematography and like some of the the humor around like there is some good shit talk the opening line of the movie is like wow like jail really messes a guy up doesn't it like there is some <laughs> the script is good um i yeah i think it's i think it'll end up being like somewhere in the 30 best films I saw this year and uh I would happily rewatch it. It's so beautiful. Like shop for shop. It is
1: really well shot, yeah. And I don't think it's a beautiful core relationship here too. I'm not saying it's not a good movie. I just think by our scale, it could have been more watchable.
0: Definitely could have been more watchable. Easily also could have been darker and more tragic. I'm very glad it wasn't. I think that the the image of freedom in the rowboat at the end, whether real or not, um is stirring and i felt was like uplifting whatever it meant we all just kind of have to push against the current and go find whatever that next thing is so um
1: damn thank you uh
0: last black man in san francisco uh it's in theaters now if you're in a city that's probably suffering from gentrification uh, i think it'll get into like even smaller markets as we as we move on thanks so much to jimmy fails for talking thanks to the playlist podcast network for hosting us uh find IndieBeat, the playlist podcast all the great shows um, on on the network thanks to the california college of the arts for sponsoring us san francisco zone and uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh and thank you buddy for chatting about this movie hey buddy
1: anytime always happy to watch a movie and then talk to you